solar got sold off, which is insane because that was the moment where, if anything, the world was finally starting to pivot towards solar. But that was the decision that came top down. And uh, I saw an opportunity at that point to go it alone. I am Conrad Chua, and this is Changing Careers, a podcast about the changing nature of MBA careers and how MBAs can change their careers. What do you do when your employer shuts down their investments in the one area you've been working on for years? Answer, you start your own business. Today's guest is Damien Miller, co-founder and CEO of Orb Energy, a company committed to bringing solar energy to India. Damien isn't an MBA graduate, but his entrepreneurial journey after completing his PhD is something that I know many MBAs aspire to. I spoke with Damien in his office in Bangalore, and first, I asked him what was the problem that Orb Energy was trying to solve in India. Well, fundamentally, it's a problem of clean energy in India, right? So, you know, I think there's a... India has a trajectory where it will probably triple its electricity capacity between now and 2030. And there are, two, there are several choices for India, right? It can, it's got a lot of coal, but that coal is uh, very dirty coal, and it's very... Can be, it's, a lot of people live around the areas where it's extracted from. So even now, India is starting to import coal. So coal is becoming more and more difficult for India, both for environmental, social, and economic reasons. Um, whereas things... Technology like solar and wind over the last 10 years has seen an incredible reduction in cost. What we do as a company is make the solar panel relevant to the end customer. So we will design the system that's needed for that customer, and we'll also now provide financing for that system. So we don't just sell and install it, but we finance it, uh, specifically for commercial and industrial customers. Can you tell us about your career? How did you get from Cambridge to Shell to India with Orb Energy? Sure. I, you know, I mean, some people have careers where they do many things, and I've only done one thing, which is solar, right? So I, coming out of doing my MPhil in Cambridge, I was very, always very interested in renewable energy. And there were two renewable energies at that time that were starting to be commercially viable. There was wind, but needed a lot of subsidy. And there was solar, where, as I mentioned, in rural areas of developing countries, it was starting to be sold on a purely commercial basis to people with no power or unreliable power. And uh, I'd, so I did my PhD on the, on the latter. I thought that was a really interesting evolution of a technology. Um, and, you know, so when I finished my PhD on solar home systems, I looked at India, I looked at Indonesia, I realized there was actually a commercial market here. And at that same time... Shell was getting into the business of renewables. So in 1998, they, they, they looked at their scenarios and they said by, 50, by 2050, 50% of the world's power would come from renewables. Shell is well known for its scenarios that it does. It's sort of its mapping exercise. Where is the world going? And so they decided at that time to put $500 million into renewables. And then a year later, they said, we'll put another 500 million, so $1 billion into renewables. And uh, I just went there with my PhD, with my financial model that I'd done with Chris Hope, and I showed it to them, and I said, I think there's a good market in rural areas of developing countries for solar. And they really liked that. The, the head of Shell Solar really liked that. He hired me on the spot. 
And I started working for them a few months after I'd graduated from Cambridge. And they gave me a lot of license to operate, a lot of freedom uh, to execute and try different business models. And we were successful in setting up a profitable division within Shell Solar, selling solar home systems in rural areas of countries like India, Sri Lanka, Philippines, even in China, although that was subsidized, uh, Indonesia. Uh, and also, I inherited a project in South Africa, things like that. And, you know, so there was a, for me, it was a great testbed of what works, what doesn't work, how do you manage these businesses. And in 2006, there sort of came a, an abrupt end where Shell said, you know what, we're getting out of solar. And it was a very dispiriting time in Shell. Shell had had their reserves crisis in 2004, and everything was sort of closing in in Shell. There was, it wasn't that openness to innovate anymore. There was that closing in, and everybody just wanted to go back to basics, back to the core. Solar got sold off, which is insane, because that was the moment where, if anything, the world was finally starting to pivot towards solar. But that was the decision that came top down. And uh, I saw an opportunity at that point to go it alone. So uh, the team in India was always the strongest team I had of, in the portfolio of companies that I managed for Shell. Uh, they indicated they would like to continue even without Shell. And so I was able to, based on the track record that we'd established in Shell, to go to a business angel in London, a VC firm in London. And I said, I'm putting in a certain amount of money. And they said, okay, well, if you're putting in that amount of money, then I'm interested to put in this amount of money. We were able to start the business with about two and a half million um, in, in, towards the end of 2006. And Ramesh from Shell, who, was my, uh, who worked, for, worked with me in Shell, is basically we'd always work closely together on these businesses. He was handling, handling India, Sri Lanka, and others. He indicated he was also very keen to, to move across. So we had the funding. Shell, uh, Ramesh joined, and the team joined from Shell, and that, and that was it. We were off and running. Can you describe the market for solar power or solar energy in, in India? The market's evolved a lot over, the say, the last 20 years. I've been involved in the market now, actually more than 20 years. In the beginning, when solar was quite expensive, um, it, the market was really rural. It was off-grid. Off-grid solar with batteries for homes that had either no power or unreliable power, or maybe water pumping. But even that was very expensive. So it was a very small niche applications. But after the financial crisis in 2008, there was a big uh, slowdown in the, in the amount of installations and subsidies that were being given to solar in Europe, because Europe at that point was effectively bankrupt, right? So what you then had was an enormous supply-demand um, sort of asymmetry. So you had a lot of supply coming out of China and less demand coming from Europe. And so we saw prices plummet. To give you an idea, when we started Orb in 2006, the price per watt on a wholesale basis was $4 a watt. By about 2010, it was $1.5 a watt after the financial crisis. So it had already then fallen by a factor of three. But in, since then, we've had the same issue every year, basically more supply than, than demand. And so what you get is a, inevitably a falling price. So since 2010 to now 2018, the price has fallen from $1.5 a watt to about 30 cents a watt, and in some cases lower than that. So as the price has fallen, new segments have opened up. And one of those segments that has opened up is rooftop solar for commercial and industrial users in India. 
And that's attractive for commercial industrial user because in India, it's the other way around to other countries. Commercial users pay more for their power than residential. There's a cross-subsidy between business and homes. And so commercial and industrial users are very keen to find ways to reduce their electricity bill. They have very high electricity bill relative to the other costs of their business. And when you put solar on their roof, they can immediately reduce their electricity bill. Depending on the size of the roof, they can reduce their bill by up to 80% in some cases. You said you started Orb in 2006 here in India. So what, what are the challenges? What have been the challenges over the last was 12 years? Sure. I mean, there's, there's been many challenges. I think your number one challenge always is building your team and finding the team that you can trust uh, to run the business and to you know, and who is effective at executing the strategy you set out. We were fortunate, myself and Ramesh, who set up the company together, we were fortunate in being able to tap into a team that we helped develop when Shell was in solar. So uh, I, I joined Shell in 1998. I was there for eight years. Uh, set up companies for them in five countries in Asia, including India. And when Shell exited solar in 2006, we saw an opportunity to take some of the staff out at that time. And so many of the staff from Shell Solar India, well, some about 10 staff joined us on that at that time. And uh, you know, we, that mean, meant we had a good team from day one. Other challenges besides the team, obviously in India, you have government regulation is intense. And uh, sometimes it's a good thing, and then sometimes it's a, it's a negative thing. Um, and sometimes, it's not always um, legitimate, right? I mean, it's, it's also people finding problems to try to extract from businesses. So I think there's a, that challenge of the government not always being on the side of business is quite a tricky challenge in India. Um, you, have also, um, you have also the issue of, of sort of incentives coming out of Delhi for solar, because everybody wants theoretically to support solar, but sometimes those incentives are not well implemented, which means basically they put in place a subsidy, but then not be able to pay the subsidy. So you as the business are out of pocket and waiting to get your money from Delhi. That's a horrible incentive structure. So I think those, those are big issues. In India, we always joke around and say, you never know what's coming out of left field. At any moment, some sort of new regulation or some sort of incentive can come in, which just is a bit destabilizing. The, la the latest one is that India has introduced a 25% import duty on solar panels and solar cells. Um, we're a manufacturer, so in the end, it doesn't hurt us too much, but it would have been better for us, for instance, and I think for India as a whole, if they just put the duty on the solar panel, not the solar cell. You should put it on the finished good, not on the components. The problem is they put it on the solar cell as well. So even us, where we import solar cells from Taiwan or Thailand or China, those, those cells are now taxed at 25%, even though we're manufacturing in India. Had they just put it on the module, then just the module at the end would be taxed, and that would protect people who are in module manufacturing, which creates much more jobs in India. So how much has Orb Energy grown in, the tw in this last 12 years? I mean, how big is it now? Now we're, this year we should be about uh, 25 million in dollars in revenue, and... Um, I think for us in the beginning, for the first 10 years of our, or say eight years of our existence, we were very focused on rural residential. 
which was not a very fast-growing, or say, it's not going to drive your top line very much. Um, so, but ever since the commercial and industrial market opened out about four years ago, we've seen every year, our, at least the megawatts we deploy has grown 100% year on year. So the first year that we did commercial and industrial was one, was one megawatt. And now we're up to, this year it'll be about 30 megawatts that we do. So that, um, the commercial industrial piece means our business is growing fast now. And plus we've introduced our own financing. And once you do your own financing of customers, that's the key bottleneck to adoption. So if, if you can finance customers to adopt solar, then it moves a lot faster than it would otherwise. You, you talked about how you're also manufacturing yes. as well as financing and deployment. So it's almost really vertically integrated yeah. solution. I mean, why did you decide to do, use that model instead of just focusing on uh, maybe certain segments like, such as deployment, for example, and financing later on? Well, I think, first of all, um, we see that there are ways in India by manufacturing that you can reduce cost. So I think at this, we're at a certain scale where, you know, for instance, this year, like I said, we'll do about 30 megawatts. If you're buying 30 megawatts, say I just buy from China, I won't get the best price because it's not that big in terms of volume relative to what they, you know, the, your average listed Chinese company these days does 10 gigawatts per annum. So 30 megawatts doesn't go very far. But what, um, so basically you don't get the best price. So if you find though that if you buy the, buy the components and make it yourself, you get a much better cost. Um, for the, so that's number one. Number two, it's really good from a marketing point of view. In India, the customers we deal with uh, often don't uh, look favorably upon made in China. For them, that denotes a certain element of low quality. You can, you know, that's a, it's, it is what it is, right? It's not necessarily correct, but it, that is the fact. And if you're also, if you can tell them that you manufacture the product, you're based in Bangalore, you, they can come and see the factory, they can see how it's made. There's more credibility behind you as the provider of that solar system than if you're just saying, oh yeah, I buy my modules from China and then I integrate the system. I think it's also in customers' mind they see you as having a little more longevity. If you're a manufacturer, you've made your investment in India. You're not just an integrator who can set up and then disappear the next day. So I think that's, that's the other part. So for, we also did, uh, we do mar manufacturing to establish credibility with the customer. So Op Energy has a very impressive list of um, investors, including the Acumen Fund, Bamboo Capital Partners, the FMO. These funds invest in companies with uh, a social purpose. So what was it about Orb Energy that proved to be such a strong sell to these investors? There's several things. First of all, when we started uh, as we, uh, in this business, we were very focused on rural off-grid homes. So that has an enormous, solar has an enormous impact for rural off-grid. But even as we've pivoted more towards commercial and industrial, we've retained our roots on serving in the under- serve segment of the market. So uh, let me give you an example. Many companies in India today, like in the US, offer a leasing product for solar, which is a 10 to 15 year lease, where a customer doesn't have to pay anything down, and then they basically will get a solar system. They don't, have, they don't pay, they just pay the out for the output of the system. They pay per kilowatt hour that's produced from the system, and they'll pay a rate. So if today they pay eight rupees per kilowatt hour, 
if they get this system on a lease, they'll pay four rupees per kilowatt hour. So that's one way but to do it for a customer to adopt solar. The problem is that, the, really the problem is that if you're doing a 10 to 15 year lease with a company in India, that excludes 98% of the companies in India because they're not going to have the balance sheet or the tri triple B plus credit rating that you want to be able to give the, to be able to extend a 10 to 15 year tenor. Or you'll be asking them for a corporate guarantee, or for, sorry, a bank guarantee because a corporate guarantee won't be enough. So basically it comes down to the business, you know, what can you as a business accept in terms of the risk of offering a finance product to the customer? What we didn't said was that instead we said, okay, there's this big underserved part of the market. Uh, that's those are small to medium scale enterprise in India. About 40% of India's industrial output comes from small to medium scale enterprises. But they're not going to, they're never going to be reached with this leasing product because they don't have the credit rating that will justify it. But if we bring them a three to four year finance product where we say you pay us 25% down and then you pay an equal monthly installments over three to four years, that's a more manageable risk. We can assess that cre their credit risk, we assess their balance sheets, we assess their cash flows, their profitability, and we can extend them credit. That we're the only solar company you'll find in India extending credit to SMEs. And so I think many of our social impact funds, particularly FMO, um, who's just, who just last year invested for a second time in us, so they reinvested, um, they're very pleased by our focus on SMEs. Not just because it makes commercial sense, but because it has an impact on serving an underserved part of the solar market. I was very grateful to Damien for sharing this conversation with you. I was in Bangalore earlier this year meeting people like Damien who are doing such exciting work. And the story I heard was one of great challenges in India, but immense opportunities for businesses to grow and have social impact. You can listen to episode 19 to hear from Hemant Mohapatra about VC opportunities in India. And in episode 21, I spoke with Priya Shah about the social impact that the UNUS Social Business Fund is having in Bangalore. Next episode, I head back to the UK and speak with a consultant who is working with clients at the speed of digital. Remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave a rating if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. You've been listening to me, Conrad Chua, and I look forward to speaking to you in two weeks' time for another episode of Changing Careers. <laughs>